Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. The scripture for the morning is from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of God. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I never got to play Mary in the Christmas pageants. (laughs) No, my friends Lisa and Sarah got to, but I never did. I had a nice muskrat hairdo, though, so I made a great shepherd. If I always wanted to be Mary, I think that's probably why I always sign up to be the Holy Family for the Living Nativity. Of course, that leaves my daughter to be a shepherd, so maybe not very fair to her, but she doesn't complain. Mary, she's the queen of the nativity. When you put the nativity out, she's so pretty with her long blonde hair and her blue dress. Okay, maybe the nativity of my childhood was not necessarily culturally appropriate or accurate, but still, Mary was the one. She had the power over who got to see the baby. She treasured everything in her heart. She was the one who said yes to God and to the little drummer boy. And she was young and innocent and perfect. And today is her day. Once a year, we talk about Mary because we are Protestants. (laughs) And that's all we can handle. We don't know what to do with Mary. We don't want to worship her. 
we, wanna, we don't want to hold her as the ideal of what feminism should be, right? So we talk about her once a year. Now, Nadia Bowles-Weber said, I realize that many mainline Protestants don't know what to do with Mary. It's like Roman Catholics have dibs on her and we just kind of stand by, <laughs> only dusting her off once a year to be the pretty young girl in the nativity set and then putting her quickly away before she, answers, uh, she uh, embarrasses anyone, which is sad because there are so many reasons to love Mary. I have a friend, Jenny, we were in college together and um, we had taken some women's studies classes and she was really kind of having this issue because she was Catholic. She, was, she had grown up Catholic and she felt like um, she didn't agree that, they, that it, only men can be priests and things like that, but she said she couldn't ever change because she would miss Mary too much. See, the problem with only talking about Mary once a year is that we reduce her to this sweet thing, young and innocent. And it's nice to have that ideal for the mother of Jesus. She agreed. She just kept quiet. She was docile. But that depiction maybe isn't fully accurate and might not be the ideal that we want to hold up for our daughters. And yes, she was young and perhaps innocent, but there was something else to her as well. Because contrary to the nativity set, she didn't just sit there and smile. She didn't just keep her mouth shut. Now, the angel Gabriel's address to Mary is called the Annunciation. And the Annunciation follows the, the traditions of the Old Testament. When you think about the angels that come and speak to people in the Old Testament, they all start out with the same thing. Do not be afraid. And the assurance of God's favor. Now, as uh, Barbara read in the scripture, we know that her cousin, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, was also pregnant, expecting a child. And the two of them, though, have very different uh, announcements. They, um, their annunciations are different because, of course, this is something that Elizabeth has been praying for for a long time. Her annunciation is an answer to prayer, and Mary's is totally out of nowhere. Mary's sitting at home. She's getting married in a little while. She's not praying for a child, at least not at this point, and she's still living at home with her parents, taking care of the house. The last thing she's thinking about is a baby, at least right now. And here comes an angel with an announcement that she'll have a baby. And her response is, let it be with me according to your word. That's what you would say, right? Sure, I got that. Okay. But Mary trusted. She didn't argue. I mean, she did ask a question. How is this possible? That's fair. But she trusted. Now, Nadia Bowles-Weber says, I wonder if I'd been in her place. Which would be harder for me to believe? And these are her words. The part about being knocked up by God and giving birth to the king... Or the part where the angel said, I was favored. And yet, as Joel Chase said, Mary believed. 
She remembered all those Uncle Arthur bedtime stories, remembered the time God washed Pharaoh's army in the sea, remembered when God fed the wandering Israelites with manna and quail, remembered that Nebuchadnezzar nibbled grass like a cow, remembered when the child Joash became king. Mary remembered God's characteristic blessing and exalting of the humble and knew it to be true again in her very self. It wasn't hard for Mary to believe that God could find favor with her because this was part of God's story, and she trusted. I wonder, would it be hard for you to believe in God's favor? We, too, have the same Bible stories, and actually, we have more, right? We've got the Jesus part, too. And we know these stories, they're a part of who we are. We know the messages. We know that God didn't just choose people who had it all together. In fact, more than not, not he chose people who didn't have it together. We grew up in Sunday school hearing we love because God first loved us. But I wonder, do we really believe that God has found favor in us? I'm here to tell you that Mary had no more favor than we do. She was young. She was poor. She was engaged. She wasn't of any kind of high social standing. But the difference is she trusted God. She trusted her faith. She trusted that God could find favor in her. Anne Weems um, is a poet that I love, a, a spiritual poet, and she's written a book called Kneeling in Bethlehem, and in it is this poem, Mary Nazareth, Nazareth Girl. What did you know of ethereal beings with messages from God? What did you know of men when you found yourself with child? What did you know of babies, you barely out of childhood yourself? God-chosen girl... What did you know of God that brought you to this stable blessed among women? Could it be that you had been ready, waiting, listening for the footsteps of an angel? Could it be there are messages for us if we have the faith to listen? Do we have the faith to listen? Look at Mary's story. She trusted, she believed in God's favor, she believed in God's love for her. What would your life be if you really believed God loves you? If you really believe that you are God's beloved, if you had the faith to listen to God's message of love for you, because, friends, that's why Christ came. Not for us to feel guilty and unworthy. No, see, we were getting it wrong for years. And God knows people still get it wrong all the time today in the name of Christianity. It's not a new thing. But since the beginning of time, people were getting God's love wrong. So God came down once and for all to tell us, you are my beloved. I love you. I am with you. And there is nothing that you can do to take that away. And still we don't believe it, at least not at our core. Mary is special because she did. She didn't argue with God over being favored or not. She trusted, she accepted, and then she proclaimed. 
She spoke truth to power. You see, the other thing that Mary does is what so many of us would do is when she got this message, she goes to see her friend, right? Her cousin, her mentor, so that she could process all of this. And so she visits Elizabeth, who's older and who's also pregnant, and whose baby jumps in her womb when Mary comes in. Of course, that's John the Baptist. He was always kind of wild. <laughs> but it's a validation of Mary's call. And her response to her call is a prophetic poem that calls for God to overthrow the social order, to feed the hungry, and to send away the rich empty-handed. We call it the Magnificat. Here it is from the message version. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I'm now the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel, and remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. That doesn't sound quiet and innocent, does it? It sounds strong and faithful. Mary has caught God's vision. Her trust and acceptance of God's favor enables her to see God's vision for all. In just a short time, she knows what it's all about. This incarnation, God becoming human, God in human flesh, and all that it means for the world. An upside-down kingdom of sorts where God's love is not just for some, but for all, not just for those in power, but actually a preference for the weak. God became human to show us a different way, and it starts with accepting that love for ourselves. When we accept that we are favored, that God can love even us, then we learn to love ourselves. It's no longer about us and our needs the needs of the world become even more prevalent. Injustice becomes all the more visible, and we are no longer able to be complacent. Instead, we are moved to give birth to the incarnation as we act out of love and God becomes visible. We talk about Mary meek and mild, quiet, and docile, but here's the thing. Her song, the Magnificat, her acceptance of her role shows us that she wasn't going to raise the kid to be submissive. She was going to raise the Son of God to care for the poor, to love the outcast, to bring peace to the world, and to die trying. I wonder what it would look like if each and every one here saw in yourself what God sees in you. What could happen if you believed what God believes about you? If you loved yourself the way God loves you, what could we do together if we all believed that we 
are God's beloved. How could we change the world? How could we find ourselves raising the incarnation as we see Christ in each face and, we, and as love is our mode of operation? One last quote from Nadia. There's a reason Mary is everywhere. I've seen her image all over the world. Images of Mary remind us of God's favor. Mary is what it looks like to believe that we already are who God says we are. Think about that. What would it take for you to believe you are who God says you are? If a 14-year-old girl can believe it, why can't we? And what could happen if we do? What lives might change, what differences might be made, what injustices might be remedied. In this season when the word believe is all over everything, and everyone is told to believe in the magic of Christmas, I'm going to tell you to also believe. Believe in God's favor. Believe in God's vision for you. Believe in God's love for you. Because that's really what Christmas is all about. And because this world needs you to believe that and act upon it more than ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.